Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, I have a glowing review of the now-complete first season of the apocalyptic Ice Age on a Train series, Snowpiercer. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. We have another COVID-19 reunion special sitcom this week, courtesy the gang from Happy Endings. And this game show is running some classic episodes. Jeff Braun, your guess. What is Jeopardy? Yes! We all believe we've run into the burning building. But until we feel that heat, we can never know. You do. You chose to die instead of giving up your colleagues. That test you passed? Not everybody does. Welcome to the afterlife. I still have no clue what this movie is about, (laughs) but man, I am excited to see Tenet, but it looks like it's going to be a while. Yeah, the action thriller from uh, acclaimed director Christopher Nolan, who, of course, brought us such favorites of, uh, from the Coach Potatoes as Inception and The Dark Knight Rises. It, it's, it's a time-bending movie like most of his movies are, and it has been sort of uh, just how it goes with Tenet, how it goes with theaters. And they keep pushing the date back on it, so it was supposed to come out, I think, originally in June. And every two weeks, they'd push it back two weeks, and every two weeks, they'd push it back two weeks. And then the news this week was they're taking it off the calendar altogether. They say it will come out, but they, at this point, are not putting a date on it at all. And, of course, it's going to depend, of course, on the pandemic, which has been getting worse in many places, especially in the United States. The other news this week, though, is the head of Warner Brothers did state that it will definitely not be one of these things where it's coming out on video on demand before its theatrical run or at the same time as its theatrical run. It will definitely be an in-theaters movie first and then later on VOD. And actually, I just read this morning that the new Bill and Ted, Bill and Ted Face the Music, when that comes out in September, that's going to be on VOD and in theaters at the same time. So if you if the theater is open and you can go see it, you can do that, or you can just rent it at home if you don't want to go out. Oh, hang on. So I missed that this week. So Bill and Ted was supposed to come out in August. You're saying it's now coming out in September? Yeah, I'm very quite certain I saw that it was a September date now pushed back, but also with the VOT and simultaneously in the theatrical release. Oh, okay. And yeah, Tenet uh, looks like it was originally scheduled for July 17th, and then they pushed it to July 31st, and then August 12th, and uh, now they've pushed that off. And I'm glad that they're not going video on demand. And uh, Christopher Nolan, he, he, I respect how he sort of sticks to his guns on a few things, right? Like he... Yeah. Uh, did not. I, I don't think he ever wanted to do anything 3D. He's. Am I right? He doesn't like the 3D stuff. Uh, he doesn't like the 3D stuff. He loves the IMAX stuff. That's right. The, the bigger. So, in other words, for Christopher Nolan, the bigger the screen, the bigger the experience, the better. Um, and yeah, we, we we've got movie theaters starting to open throughout Canada. You know, we've had seen some movie theaters open in recent weeks in British Columbia, Saskatchewan, Quebec, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, Ontario. Manitoba's got the green light now for theaters to reopen, but with no new movies to uh, to reopen or to, to show, 
Um, you got to wonder what they're showing. Like, I know that uh, I think Cineplex is uh, showing some uh, recent favorites, for example. They've got $5 movie screenings, just looking at uh, what they were doing in Alberta. They were asking people, what do you want to see? Uh, like, theaters have been showing a selection of recent movies like Birds of Prey and Sonic the Hedgehog, Jumanji, The Next Level, The Invisible Man, Bloodshot, and The Way Back, just to name a few. So, I would you go, like, what what... Would you oh. go see any movie at the theater, or would you rather it be like some sort of a classic? Um, of of the those newer ones, I've already seen the way back, and I don't have much interest in the other ones. So I'm would I'm all in though on like five dollar classics. I saw a picture of like a like a strip mall multiplex somewhere in the United States, and the marquee said like Ghostbusters, Goonies, Back to the Future, Jaws, and Jurassic Park were like the movies that were playing. So if they do stuff like that, I'd go see every one of those movies for $5. Yeah, I think that's what they're going to have to do if they can do... Because I, I would for sure go see yeah. those movies. And I'm just double-checking here because A Quiet Place 2, I think, was set to open... They they bumped that to September. Um, looks Yeah, it's still set to debut in September. So we'll see what happens with that. Because as you pointed out, with the numbers skyrocketing in the United States, you got to wonder if they just... The movie oh. companies just decide to, to pull the plug altogether on 2020. Yeah, and honestly, like whatever is announced, uh, unless it's happening three days from whenever you read it, I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock into it because there's so far not one of these things has come off as planned. So it, it's all very much up in the air. Yeah, and uh, now earlier this week, and I know you, that the Warner Brothers said, no, we're not releasing uh, Tenet, a video on demand, but there was speculation that whatever the studio does choose to do with this film could have, and I'm looking at a, an article on theringer.com, and they say what the studio chooses to do next might have paradigm shifting potential so for whatever reason tenet has become the movie that all eyes are on uh, to see what happens with the movie situation so hopefully we can go see a movie sometime soon whether it's a new one or whether it's an old one that would be cool now speaking of covid you told me something just this morning you, when we discussed what are we going to talk about today on the couch potatoes and you said you watched this and i said what i already missed the 30 rock reunion yeah. special uh and now we've got this other sitcom yeah one of the silver linings of you know the state of how things are have been these zoom reunion shows where the cast members from sitcoms get into character make a little bonus episode over zoom uh parks and rec did at first it was pretty funny like you said 30 rock has also done it we both missed that for some reason but i also think we would have missed it anyway if we've been paying attention because the minneapolis nbc affiliate which is for sure, my NBC channel, I think it's yours too. Yep. They didn't carry it anyways for some reason. I saw people that I know, friends of mine, complaining about it on Twitter. It's like, why isn't this on TV right now? But whatever. Uh, both those shows were long off the air, and I don't know why current shows aren't doing this. Isn't that weird? Or at least recently ended shows? You would think this would be right up the Big Bang Theory's alley or something like that. But one of our favorites that ended seven years ago did a comeback this week. It's the show Happy Endings. The ABC sitcom ran three glorious seasons. It never had a huge audience, but it did have a very dedicated audience. I missed most of the original run myself, but I got caught up about halfway through the last season. And I have the Blu-rays now. It's definitely my next rewatch once I'm caught up in other stuff. Uh, if you've never seen it, it's a Friends-type show about six 
six friends in Chicago. The thing with happy endings, though, is that it packs more jokes into an episode than probably any other show ever. And rewatches are great because it's, you know, hard to catch everything the first time through because it's just boom, 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 joke, 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 joke. So, since all the actors involved have nothing better to do, the show creator, David Casp, got them and the writers on board, and they did a new episode this week. Either way, you better slow down, buddy, because you look like you've already gained the COVID-25. And I would have said COVID-19, but that joke's played. And you're much fatter than that. It's uh, hurtful. <clears throat> oh, my God, the bad guy for BT! Oh, oh. Oh. What up, carriers? Jane, you look prepared. I've been running pandemic simulations since grade school. My uh, nickname used to be Jane Kirkovich. Please, not another pandemic simulation. <laughs> the theme of my 10th birthday was HEPA filter maintenance, right? So, whose birthday is an epic disaster now? Julie Jungers. <laughs> anyway, do you guys want some tips? I've been, I've been gramming. My quarantine hacks are as I call them. Well, you gotta. It's just a couple hundred easy peasy ideas. Everything from building a smoker slash bucket toilet to how to deal with loved ones who aren't taking the risk seriously enough, despite the, <laughs> the daily briefings, which are posted right next to the semi-daily 71-step hygiene tips that they, they just ignore. So like the other Zoom reunion shows, the happy ending ones focuses on the lives of the characters and how they've been handling the pandemic. Pandy's dating a doctor and has become a COVID-19 expert. Max is house-sitting for someone and has somehow become even more schlubby than usual. Jane, who we heard there, has been cleaning like crazy, which she would have been doing anyways. Brad got stuck in Florida when it began and Jane won't let him come home because he's in the dirtiest of all states. Alex is a COVID-19 denier, which is pitch perfect for her character. And Dave doesn't even know about the pandemic because he's been on a 12-week retreat without his phone so a good fodder and each character sort of falls right into place with how they would react to all this and they actually put some work in writing this thing there are some surprises and twists and as much plot as there can be for this format it was quite a bit more than i was expecting on that front and it was also very funny at times it's definitely the best one i've seen the parks and rec one was okay uh reports i've read said the 30 rock one was pretty flat so i don't think we missed anything with that one brett um it must have been fun for everyone involved to you know flex their creative muscles and have something to do work related especially the actors the writers i'm sure can write all day every day if they feel like it and because that's a showbiz work from home kind of job to begin with uh, frankly on the other side of this pandemic i will expect brett some very well written tv shows and movies there's no excuses after being given all this extra writing time i would think you know for a guy like vince gilligan for example who prizes writing above all else to really deliver with the final season of better call saul whenever that comes about yeah no that's good that's good and uh this particular episode of happy endings it was a charity thing right they they did uh they were raising funds for two causes world central kitchen which provides meals to victims of natural disasters and color of change which is a u.s civil rights advocacy organization so uh you can just find it on youtube i just googled happy endings uh, covid special and found it immediately so you might want to check that out also worth pointing out as well uh this time of year this particular weekend is always San Diego Comic-Con. The International Comic-Con is this weekend, and this year it's called Comic-Con at Home. So if you go to comic-con.org, that started on July 22nd and runs through the 26th. Usually, Comic-Con provides just a, a boatload of 
movie trailers and TV trailers and all kinds of TV news and movie news, so I'm curious to see how that plays out. We are recording this on the 23rd, so by the time the 26th happens, uh, this show will have long been recorded. Up next... We're going to talk about something really cool happening with one of the greatest game shows of all time, Jeopardy. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. Jeopardy is on its annual summer hiatus, and they've been doing the usual thing most weeks where they rerun some of the tournaments from earlier in the year. But this week they did something different. They're rerunning really old episodes from the first decade of the show, from 1984 to 1994. Should say first decade of the show as we know it with Alex Trebek as the host. There were some earlier incarnations of Jeopardy that ran sporadically in the 60s and 70s. Uh, and then, in fact, on Monday, they aired the very first Trebek episode from September 10th, 1984. And now, here is the host of Jeopardy, Alex Trebek. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of all of us, welcome to America's favorite answer and question game, Jeopardy. You know how we play it. We provide the categories and the answers, and it's then up to our contestants to give us the right questions. Players, as you know, anytime you recognize an answer, you're free to ring in. However, I do want to caution you about the Jeopardy. If you are wrong, the value of the answer will be deducted from your score. I like how he explains the title of the show right there. He also says your favorite question and answer game is though anyone had seen it before. It hadn't been on the air in five years at that point, but whatever. It was a weird thing to watch uh, episode one. They do, of course, little upgrades to the set and the production and style every season, so you maybe don't really notice them as the years tick by, but when you're suddenly thrust back to 84, it was a pretty jarring experience. The camera jerks around as they show the different categories. Anything that's remotely digital, like the dollar amounts at each player's box, looks very dated. Uh, it really looks like it would be an arduous program to try and pull off back in the day technically speaking. In 2020, of course, it's slick and sophisticated and runs without a hitch no matter what. Aside from the technological advances, the other striking thing, of course, is Alex Trebek and not just the mustache. He was a fast talker in the early days. He's much more relaxed now, but I mean, after 35 years of anything, anyone would be more relaxed. The second episode they showed this week was actually the second episode, which was a fun continuity with the winner from day one on Monday coming back, they showed it because of the ending, which caught Alex a little off guard and showed some very stupid gameplay by that returning champ. The third place guy only had a few hundred dollars. He wasn't going to be a factor. The lady in second place had $5,000 going into Final Jeopardy, and the returning champ had 9500 Now, that's not a runaway. Second place could double to 10000 with the right answer, so the first place guy should have bet $501, which would take him to $10,001 with a right answer, and he wins. And it also is a safety net that if he gets it wrong, he could still win, so long as the second place person got it wrong or didn't wager her full amount. That's basic, basic strategy. But what happened? They all got it wrong, and they all bet everything, ending in a three-way tie for $0. <laughs> awesome. And Trebek said that that actually didn't happen again for 35 years. It didn't happen again until 2019 that that happened. So, uh, and then the third episode I watched was from season two. It featured the fifth game by some guy who at the time had won the most money ever with $72,800 over his five shows. And back then, of course, they retired players after five shows and the money was only half of what it is now on the game board. So, uh, I've gotten better at Jeopardy over the years. I like watching it. Uh, but, you know, as your life experience continues to grow and, 
the questions or answers are usually contemporary. It gets a little bit easier as you age to suss some of that stuff out. So it's fun with these old shows to often have zero clue what they're going on about. They'll name a person or event that might have been biggish news for a few months in the mid-80s, but has been long lost to history. Uh, at the beginning of the week, when Trebek was explaining what they were airing this week, he also mentioned, again, like he did a couple of weeks back in a private video that he tweeted out or whatever, that he was making progress with his pancreatic cancer fight, which was good to hear. He says, so far he's beating the odds of well, what cancer usually does to people, which is a rare bit of good news these days, so I was glad to hear that. I hope he can keep it up, and watching this these old shows and having him introduce it, it, it sort of, it doesn't... It, it's not necessarily like a like his, a farewell thing to Alex Trebek, but he's obviously closer to the end of his you know tenure hosting the show than the beginning. So it's been a real treat to see some of these old shows, Brett. Yep, and this uh, Jeopardy business, uh, they're going to do four weeks of this. They started on July 20th, so there will be 20 memorable installments from the show's run, including, as Jeff mentioned, the 1984 series premiere of its daily syndicated version. Up next, yeah. I've got a review of what I thought to be a tremendous season of thrilling television on Netflix. I'll tell you what that is in a moment. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. And the first season wrapped up this week on Netflix for a great new show for 2020, Snowpiercer. all passengers. The temperature outside is minus 119 degrees Celsius. We are six years, nine months, and 26 days from departure. For your personal safety, be prepared to brace. Snowpiercer is all that's left of the world. Mr. Wilford runs our train based on three principles. Can I borrow you for a second? Work, honor, and order. Each of us in our place. Never forget who you are. A tailie. We figured out a way to survive in the shadows. How about we leave this hell behind? There's an idea traveling up train. And all it needs is a spark. We march to the engine! This is a show that hails from TNT in the U.S. It airs on Netflix in Canada. It debuted Sunday, May 17th on TNT, and then eventually Monday, May 25th on Netflix, with a new episode each week. So I got backed up watching it recently, because I spent the last little while watching that German time travel show, Dark. So I checked on Monday and saw that I had four episodes piled up, including the season finale, which landed on Monday. So I plowed through them over the next couple of days. What a cool show this was, figuratively and literally, because it's cold outside, as you heard on Snowpiercer, because they're in the apocalypse. The world is frozen. Snowpiercer has been adapted to the screen before. The Big Screen, a movie that debuted in 2013, directed by Bong Joon-ho, who directed last year's best picture, Parasite. The Snowpiercer movie starred Chris Evans, and it itself was based on a 1982 graphic novel called Le Trans. 
personage. And we'll have more on the movie in a minute because now we've got this TV show. The movie was critically acclaimed. The TV show, not so much. Only 63% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I find a little bit surprising. And here's what they say. Snowpiercer takes a different route with its source material, crafting an ambitious sci-fi mystery with style to spare but with little of the subversive bite of Bong Joon-ho's theatrical adaptation. All right, fair enough. What is Snowpiercer, you ask? Well, as you heard, all that's left of humanity after the world froze is on a train. A train that is 1,001 cars long. That's 10 miles. And that is true to the graphic novel, 1,001 cars. I think they scaled it back in the movie. I don't believe they mention it in the film, but from what I can tell, it's 60 cars based on a sketch from the director. I think they, they scaled it down to 60 cars. This train just goes around and around, circling the globe in perpetual movement, and there is a horrific class system on Snowpiercer, which really forces you to think about your own life because... It's not much different than the class system in real life, sort of. I mean, but when you put what happens in the real world on a train where everyone's boxed inside just trying to survive, it's truly awful what uh, the worst of them have to endure. Our main character is Leighton, played by David Diggs from Hamilton, which you recently watched on Disney Plus, and you loved that, did you not? Absolutely. I highly recommend The Hamilton. Layton is a taily. The people who live in the train's tail have the worst living conditions. They are fed very little. They live in filth and squalor. And then there's a third class, second class, and first class. Interesting in this, they actually explain how the people who got in the tail became the tailies. They give them a background in the movie. I don't think they do. Naturally, the tailies... After, you know, years of being treated like garbage, they've had enough. They want some equality. And thanks to Leighton's background as a homicide detective, that turns out to be the foot in the door they might need because there is a murder on the train. And they pull him out of the tail to help. Jennifer Connolly is the head of hospitality. She's basically the boss, answering only to Mr. Wilford himself from Wilford Industries. He runs the train. But there's more than meets the eye to her and what she does on that train. As far as the production goes, this is a lavish production. One train car, for example, is almost entirely an aquarium. There's a night car, which actually has a lounge and a bar. It's just a series of elaborate sets, one after another after another. At first... It felt like just another murder mystery, which I found kind of disappointing. But they move that out of the way pretty quickly, and then it becomes uh, just a thrilling season of TV as we watch the Tailies try to take the train once and for all. And then if they get it, will they be any better than the jerks in first class? Because human nature. Also, this season has a great cliffhanger ending, so I loved it. And there will be a season two. Turns out most of the filming was already done, so once things start to get back to normal, whenever that is, they should be able to pump out that season relatively quickly. And I think they're already talking about a third season, too. So I finished the TV season on Tuesday. On Wednesday, I thought, why not watch the movie? It's available on Crave. Here's a clip from the film. This chaos... A thousand people in an iron box. 18 years I've hated my train. 18 years I've waited for this moment. This is your world. The train saved humanity. The engine lasts forever. The population must always be kept in balance. 
I said sit down. Passengers, eternal order flows from the sacred engine. We must occupy our preordained position. I belong to the front. You belong to the tail. Know your place. Keep your place. Those bastards in the front think they own us. We'll be different when we get there. What you say? We take the engine and we control the world. When is the time? Soon. I loved this movie when I first saw it, and I forgot about some of the people in the supporting cast. You heard the voices of Ed Harris in there, Tilda Swinton, John Hurt, and I was enjoying it again for my second viewing. The level of detail for the set on the TV show is impressive, but in the movie, it is nuts. There is a lot going on in that tale section, and that's where we spend pretty much that first whole first half hour, because in the TV show, you go back and forth, and you learn, meet all kinds of different characters, but because this is a movie, we don't get the detailed exploration of the train and all of its sections, although we do eventually get to see more of it. But I didn't see it this time because I fell asleep after that first half hour. My couch (laughs) got me again. I fell asleep 30 minutes into the movie. So, uh, Jeff, I guess I'll finish it this week and report back next week. LOL. You have to stand up and watch it so you can't fall asleep. I, I recently sat on the floor when I had to... I can't remember what it was I was watching that I had to finish in time to talk about it on the couch potatoes it might have been dark but i actually sat on the floor to prevent myself from falling asleep and i still almost (laughs) fell asleep sitting on the floor yeah that's funny all right all right i watched something too uh andy samberg had a new movie come out a couple of weeks back that we did not mention because there's actually no way to see it yet in canada it's on hulu in the united states not available here so we've been bereft of an opportunity to watch his movie palm springs which by all accounts is very good however samberg's previous movie before palm springs was on tv this week and i'd never seen it before so i watched pop star never stop never stopping ever since i was born oh my god I was dope. Money! Usually I don't like to read album reviews. I'm just excited. Rolling Stone has given it the poo emoji. Let's call it mixed reviews. On June 3rd, some stars are brighter than others. You're adding wolves to the tour? When have I ever been wrong before? Are you okay? I'm fine for a second. Pop star rated R. It's a mockumentary about a pop star, obviously, named Connor For Real, played by Samberg. Connor used to be in a rap band called The Style Boys, but has ventured out on his own, and the film tracks the release of his second album and a subsequent tour. The movie was made by Samberg's Lonely Island comedy troupe, which also consists of Akiva Schaefer and Jorma Tacone, who also happened to make up the other members of The Style Boys. These guys, by the way, in real life, were responsible for all those Saturday Night Live digital shorts back in the day, like the Chronicles of of Narnia rap Lazy Sunday and the thing in a box with Justin Timberlake. JT and Sandberg are friends, and actually JT's in the movie as the tourist caterer. In fact, there are a ton of real musical artists in the movie, most of them playing themselves in cameos and talking head interviews that are common in mockumentaries. The movie has the most in common, of course, with This Is Spinal Tap, which also followed a fictional band on tour, although technically they weren't fictional because they actually really did tour and really put out a couple of albums. Now, Popstar is not as good as Spinal Tap, which I regard as the funniest movie of all time, but Popstar is very funny, and Connor For Real 
is as dumb as the guys in Spinal Tap. Like them, he's also about to be crushed by bad reviews and empty seats at his shows. He tries to counter some of it by bringing an opening act, a new rapper who steals his thunder, and he tries to regain some popularity by dating another celebrity. There is an amazing scene where he tries to make a romantic gesture to her, and it goes off the rails in ways you couldn't possibly imagine. The main thread involves the reunification of the Style Boys, though. One of them is actually his DJ. The other one left the band on very angry terms and has become a farmer. Andy Samberg is very good at playing a dumb guy who thinks he's cool, so this is exactly in his wheelhouse. The Lonely Island guys in general know how to lampoon celebrity and trendy stuff and how to comically destroy any silly aspect of society that takes itself too seriously. The movie did nothing at the box office when it came out in 2016, which is just bad marketing, I think. Honestly, while movie stars can very successfully slide into TV, I think there is still a stigma the other way, like... Why would I pay $12 to watch an Andy Samberg movie when I can watch him for free on Brooklyn Nine-Nine on TV every week? That sort of thing. Whatever it was, the movie only made $9.6 million in theater. It's at 79% on Rotten Tomatoes, which for a movie like this is very solid in the reviews department because it is just basically one silly thing after another for an hour and a half. I enjoyed it much more than I thought it would. I look forward to one day getting a look at his new movie, Palm Springs Bread. And on that note, Hulu's not the only thing we don't get. NBC NBC Universal launched its new Peacock streaming service last week, which is also not available in Canada. Apple TV Plus is available here, but I don't want to get it because there's really nothing on there I want to see except for that new Tom Hanks 4 movie, Greyhound. So it's sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't with some of this streaming stuff, which uh, every time they introduce a new one and it's not available here, it just kind of gets on my nerves. Yeah, that's a good point. And that Apple TV Plus, I want to see it too, that Greyhound movie, but... There, I, and I'm interested in seeing that show, the morning show, but it's just their content. Like, there's nothing else there, so yeah. I don't know that that's worth the, the the the. I mean, I've heard a few of their shows are very good, but I don't know if it's worth it. I, I get an, an access to enough good TV elsewhere that I don't need to subscribe to this uh, just that's to see too. a movie. Up next, speaking of movies, Rotten Tomatoes put out a list this week. That's not a good one. It is the worst movies of all time. We'll delve into that next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. Jeff, I'm looking at RottenTomatoes.com right now. And this week, they released the 100 worst movies of all time. What do we got? That is awesome. Uh, Yeah, the range from 4% down to 0%. The first one, number 100, is a movie called Material Girl starring... Hillary and Haley Duff, which would have been a big red flag right there. And ge- in general, these movies are movies that did have theatrical releases. Because, I mean, you could do like a straight-to-video list of all 0% movies real easy. Then were like 12 of them starred Nicolas Cage and 12 more of them starred Eric Roberts. This isn't that. These are movies that uh, the creators, you know, really hoped stood a chance at... Uh, Getting a, making some box office for the most part, and they just flopped wildly. I've seen, I think, five, six of the five, five in a bit. That 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 John Travolta gangster movie Gaudi is on the list. Okay, and of course, I uh, we I talked about it on the show some point last year, maybe it was earlier this year. I only got through twenty minutes of that monstrosity. It's just <laughs> terrible. Okay, um, my I think my favorite on the list is Jaws Four, which is a bad movie. 
Jaws the Revenge. It's, it was the last of the, the terrible sequels they made for what is the magnificent Jaws, of course. And that's part of the problem with Jaws 4 is that, you know, you can't help but compare it to the first one. And it's just, it's a bad movie to begin with. And then when you try to compare it to a masterpiece, what, what chances it have? But it's actually a pretty fun movie to watch. Michael Caine's in it. It's, I think, less than an hour and a half. I've also seen Problem Child with John Ritter. I, that was like when it came out on video. I must have saw that when I was a kid. Didn't think nothing of it. Look Who's Talking Now, the third of the Look Who's Talking series. <laughs> um, which is, they're all bad. That, those movies, those have not held up. Uh, Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol. That's a, I like that movie. I watched that movie at least a dozen times when I was a kid. I'd always beg Dad when he went to rent movies, get a Police Academy movie because they're so much fun. Yeah, when you told me there was police, that Police Academy 4 was on here, I said... Is that Citizens on Patrol? As if I rem- how could I possibly remember that if I wasn't any good? But here's what the critics consensus on the website: utterly, completely, thoroughly, and astonishingly unfunny. Police Academy Four: Citizens on Patrol, since a once innocuous franchise plummeting to agonizing new depths. To be fair, I think I was eight, or uh, this came out in 1987, so I would have been yeah. ten or eleven when I saw this movie, and everything in these movies was funny to me so i would be curious to go back and watch it but i think i don't know anyway clearly the critics hated it uh we, yeah. we, what else is there on this list uh dana carvey's the master of disguise i see i saw that one i watched that one recently actually because a podcast where uh how did this get made that where they uh, just tear apart bad movies they did an episode on it so i watched the dana carvey monstrosity the master of disguise and then i noticed one on there that i have not seen but i will see at some point because it stars my man gerard butler it's called it's a rom-com called playing for keeps so uh that's that's got like four percent on rotten tomatoes so as i make my way through the butler verse i'll have to pop that one on at some point and i guess now i'm not really looking forward to it although i like a bad movie so maybe it will be fun well and just before we get out here i see that uh, the 2008 meet the spartans movie is here that was just another one of those parody movies one of the movies that is lampooned is 300 so you got to get on 300 the butler verse is not complete until you watch 300 all right it, it's, it's the one I'm gonna cap it all off with. All right. Hey, that's all the time we've got. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.